As his development career progressed, Hideo Kojima began working towards one goal. He wanted to bring the excellence of filmmaking over to video games. He wanted to match their quality in acting, lighting, direction, and storytelling. So as he sat down to plan a video game for the next generation of consoles, in 3D no less, he knew that there was an opportunity to bridge this gap. This is what guided the development of Metal Gear Solid, originally released for the PlayStation in September of 1998. Today, we're going to tell you the story of Metal Gear Solid, give you more insight into Kojima's career, and talk about our own experiences with the game. So stick around and join us as we sneak around on today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 158th episode of our video game history podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week, we're going to tell you a story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. It can be about a game, a console, a person, just whatever I want. I just have to make it relevant to this week. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world in its legacy. Today, we're all going to learn about Metal Gear Solid, the action-adventure stealth game originally released for the PlayStation in September of 1998. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who has been hiding in boxes his entire life. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, what's the weirdest box you've ever hidden? I'd have to say it was one of those Sterilite containers, like with the lid back on it and everything. Just, you know, and then we would go down the stairs on it, too. So you'd stuff it with a, a blanket oh, and like ride it down too? the stairs. Oh, of course. We... <laughs> I love that that's like still a thing. So I left the house when you were, what, six or seven? Eh, about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, our childhoods really didn't cross a whole lot. And you're... Our sister and I used to do that all the time, all the time. So it amuses me that like that has always been a thing in our house. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it didn't stop with you. Uh, Rob, it looks like you brought backup. Indeed, I did, Dave. So today we have joining us Pliskin. Pliskin, say hello to everyone. Hello. You can call me Pliskin or you can call me Snake. <laughs> oh, no. Well, Snake. As a first-time guest to our show, I have to ask, what is the first gaming memory that you have right off the top of your head? Old, Don't far back it. as you can think. Yep. Honestly, first gaming memory for me is playing the demo for Metal Gear Solid. I know I played Mario on SNES and things like that, but it's anytime I think of video games, it always goes back to a Metal Gear well, very fitting that we'd have you along for this one then, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Awesome. Excellent. What are we playing, Rob? I'll start with you. What are you playing? Well, Dave, this week, uh, Satisfactory, Rocket League, RuneScape. I think that's it. But Nope. A lot of, oh, and uh, Tears of the Kingdom was another one. Nope. <laughs> we played one more game together. Trail makers, there it is. There you go. So yeah, quite a lot of games we played together, Dave. Yeah. 
What about you, Pliskin? What games have you been playing this last week? Uh, last week, just WoW. And then I did download Modern Warfare, but it was updating all day. So pretty much just WoW. World of Warcraft for people who don't know what WoW is. <laughs> if you don't, you're living under a rock. Or living a dream. Under- you're living I- a dream. No, they're <laughs> living too. a dream. They're actually living. <laughs> yes, they are living. That is that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Oh what about no. you, Dave? What's been on your game of the week? Trial Makers, Rocket League, and Horizon Forbidden West. Mm. That would be my that'd be my okay. trio this week. That would be my trio this week. I don't think I played anything else. I think that would cover it. Awesome. Well, we got a lot to cover today, so we're gonna cruise on in. So, Metal Gear Solid is the third Metal Gear game created by Hideo Kojima. Now we've covered uh, Kojima's early career back in episode ninety eight. But I thought that I would take a few minutes and kind of briefly cover it here for those who don't listen to every episode of our podcast. Shame on you, by the way. So Kojima was born into a family that would watch films together every night. It was literally a requirement. He wasn't allowed to go to bed until the films were finished. And that was really the right environment for what was a creative mind already. He was constantly making up stories for the things around him. There's a story that he told in an interview in which he would get lost in his mind and walk into the ditches on the side of the road. This has happened more than once, apparently. There is another story where in high school, he and his friends were making short films. And for like a cultural festival, they made a zombie film and they tried to charge people to see it. Didn't go so well. So when the time came to decide what to do professionally... He wanted to make films, but there weren't any film schools in Japan and the Japanese filming industry really wasn't a thing. There just wasn't an opportunity to make films. The education wasn't there. The industry wasn't there. So he had to decide to do something else. And while meandering through other things, he was introduced to the Nintendo Famicom. And in video games, he saw an opportunity to make film-like experiences, but in clearly a different way than film itself. So he decided to work on video games. He joins Konami in 1986, and there he finds his people, so to speak. His first game was a game called Penguin Adventure. Exciting, I know. And after that, he worked on a canceled project. I think it's called Lost World. I'm just recalling this off the top of my head. When it was canceled, though, he basically, the story goes, is that there was a senior associate who was tasked with working on a project that the company was looking to get made. You see, war games were incredibly popular at the time, and they wanted someone to make an action war game that featured modern combat. So they asked a senior associate to head the project and make this game, but he has zero interest in making a war game whatsoever. So he hands the project off to Hideo Kojima. Now, Hideo Kojima is... He's Kojima, right? He has his methods. This is his chance. He can finally make his video game. 
but he didn't want to make what the company wanted to make. So he immediately begins to think of ways to like subvert the genre and do it differently. And the film Great Escape pops into his head. And with it, the idea for a video game in which you are a prisoner of war and simply had to escape. But he couldn't actually sell anyone in this game, and he had to fight just to get someone to agree to such a concept. Eventually, he manages to win everyone over, and he gets the green light to make Metal Gear. But by this point, the concept had changed, because he thought to himself, people want to play a video game that has a hero. Who would want to play a game in which the, the character or hero just escapes? So he basically throws down an Uno reverse card, and he thinks to himself, well, what if the character snuck in? And that, my friends, is how Metal Gear was truly born. That's that's the beginning of this series. So the team works to create the original Metal Gear, and it gets released on the MX2 computer system in Japan. That's July 13th, 1987. And basically, it does it does okay. It does okay. The they ported Metal Gear and they brought the port over to North America in June of 1988. That we were we were introduced to Metal Gear, at least myself. And according to Hideo Kojima, that port was developed by another Konami division who was given the source code to his game without the consent of the original team. Now, Go back and listen to the you know, the story in episode 98. There are various reasons this happened, but the game was notably changed during the porting process. It was changed so much that Kojima has publicly disowned that version of the game and continues yep. to do so. And, But it was successful, so Konami decides that that port is going to get a sequel, it was also produced without Kojima's involvement. That was released in North America, April 1990, and it's called Snake's Revenge. Now, while Snake's Revenge was being made, Kojima actually had a friend who was on that development team who let it slip to Kojima that Snake's Revenge was being made. So in response, Hideo decides that he wants to make a sequel to his own Metal Gear, and he makes... Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake. Now that was released for the MX2 in July of 1990. He originally wanted the sequel to simply be called Solid Snake. Um, he was inspired by Indiana Jones to use just the name of the main character for the title of a sequel. Um, but the marketing geniuses at Konami decided that they wanted to tie it into the first game, which was decently popular and so it became metal gear 2 solid snake so this th this poor is it's is it's basically its own game is what i'm to understand snake's revenge uh snake's revenge is yes oh okay he's talking about the first one okay it can it can be either one so the the first one is a modified version of kojima's game but snake's revenge is definitely its own game yes yeah Kojima likes it, but it's not his game. But then he does Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake, so wouldn't they technically both be like the second Metal Gear? Like, how does, how does no, that work? He, he's disowned. He's he's kind of disowned the two Metal Gears in North America. They're not canon, per se. Yeah. Oh, so he just made them without acknowledging that those existed. 
Okay. Yeah. That makes yeah, more exactly. Sense. Yeah. 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 I mean, he didn't. Yeah. Snake's revenge. Kojima. He, he, Pliskin is right. Kojima does like Snake's Revenge. He has called it a decent addition to to Metal Gear, but it's not a Metal Gear game. He didn't make it. It's not yeah. part of his story to tell. Okay, that, that he, makes he sense likes now. he likes what it did. Well, now, still. now Metal Gear Two Solid Snake really evolved the stealth based like the genre. It's improved on what the first metal gear did in pretty much every way it introduced a more complex story the themes in the game were like the nature of warfare nuclear proliferation stuff that has become like the center of the metal gear story and universe it's really considered one of the best 8-bit games ever made more than one publication puts it up there so i mean metal gear metal gear 2 was it was special and those weren't the only games he made. Uh, we talked about in episode 98, but in 1988, he also made a cyberpunk game called Snatcher, which did fairly well. It was like a graphic adventure set in a cyberpunk universe where he explores some interesting themes. And then after Metal Gear 2, he works on a game called Police Knots. He oh, writes Police Knots. Yes, Police Knots. So Police Knots is a graph another graphic adventure game. It has a hard science fiction theme. It follows just a little basis of it, because I don't know if we'll ever really have a chance to talk about it in itself. Basically it follows an astronaut who's like recovered in in like space after floating in Carl's sleep. There was like an accident, a space colony. And he basically becomes a detective in LA. He's sent back to the colony to investigate the murder of his ex-wife. And as he begins the investigation, he kind of uncovers an illegal organ trafficking ring. So it's a pretty interesting story. This is where Kojima really started to evolve some of his quote unquote film like sensibilities. He really wanted the production quality of police knots to match a major motion picture. So he created his own scripting engine to give him more creative control over how the game was made. He didn't want to he didn't want games to replace movies but he wanted to fill he wanted to correct what he thought was like a lack of production quality in games so he basically wanted to take what he felt was an excellent excellence of acting of lighting of direction and storytelling that was found only in filmmaking and he wanted to match that quality in his video games in the in the case of police knots he took creative influences from a lot of place like american buddy tv shows there were social debates in Japan on organ transplant and anti-Japanese sediment. There was a heightened interest in space travel because Japanese Japan had sent a man to space in 1990. So he brought all these things together and it turned into this like game that was a concept of how living in space kind of would affect human society and life, both socially and psychologically. I think that's a good summary. Yeah. It's a... It, I don't know. I, uh, cyberpunk and space are my thing, so I enjoy these additions to his library. So, yeah, they were. I've seen bits of it. I've never actually played Police Knots. Obviously, there's a few characters in there that I'm familiar with. True. Yes, I've never actually played it. True, true, true. But it does look cool, and I like space themes uh, uh, games as well. 
Maybe, maybe he'll remake them. They're remaking games in his library. You never know. Yep. Would be cool. Would be cool. All right. So while Police Knots was in development, Kojima got to work on planning his next title, which he knew was going to be Metal Gear Solid. It was originally going to be a game for the 3DO, but during... It's so weird saying 3DO. Like, it feels weird saying 3DO every time. But during development, they discontinued the 3DO interactive video game system or whatever the heck they called it. So they shifted production and development of this game to the PlayStation, which, in my opinion, very good thing, because I am of the personal belief that if they had brought it out for the 3DO, no one would have probably played this game. Yeah, probably not. The title of the game came early on. Metal Gear Solid was chosen over Metal Gear 3 for various reasons. First of all. He really wanted to separate himself from those crappy Metal Gear games. The Metal Gear games that he did make weren't known outside of Japan, and the Metal Gear games that North American audiences knew were not his games, so he was trying to distinguish himself from all of that. He wanted to use the word solid because, of course, it refers to the series protagonist, Solid Snake. That's kind of a given. And And? And lastly, and lastly... Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't need to take the entire show. <laughs> okay. Well, he was also throwing some hate towards Square Enix, I think it was. Their their graphics weren't all that great. So it was either Square Enix or a different different um, company, but he, he put Solid in their... As a way, basically, to throw shade at the other company. Yeah, it was his way of representing that he was going to take his game to the next level by switching from 2D graphics to 3D computer graphics while also throwing shade at other developers. Yes. Yes, thank you. There you go. Better clarification. Yeah, we're good. So development for Metal Gear Solid began in 1995, mid-1995, so about, you know, fun times. You know what I was going to say, Rob, but I'm going to avoid it. (laughs) Developers. So Kojima really wanted accuracy and realism. He wanted the game to be enjoyable and tense, but real. So in the early stages of development, they brought in a SWAT team, the Huntington Beach SWAT team. They worked with the development team, uh, demonstrating vehicles, weapons, explosives. They tapped a weapons expert, Motosada Mori. Uh, He was a technical advisor. They took the team to Fort Irwin. They did uh, gun um, shooting sessions at a gun gun place. I can't find the word right now. Gun range. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Appreciate that. You're welcome. You know, Kojima's belief was that if the player isn't tricked into believing that the world is real, then there is no point in making the game. On top of all the detail that they were bringing to the weapons and explosives and so on and so forth, they took that same level of detail into the game itself. So, like, the deaths in the game are individually designed because there'd be no two deaths that were the same in real life either. Uh, And and it was that attention to detail that Kojima was all about. So they had to design the game. It's a stealth game. They needed to decide how to lay out the levels, the maps. So they used Legos 
and toy figurines to model their 3D areas and see how the camera views would work, you know, in the way they wanted to. Yeah, whoever says Lego is for kids, there's your proof that they're not. They're for adults in oh, the yeah, working he, world. Yeah, <laughs> he uses them on a lot of his games, from what I understand. He does. He does. Oh, that's really cool. Well, everybody's different. There are people like that would go to film and actually do like storyboarding. I know I know development teams that have done storyboarding. And then there's other ones. It's not the first time we've heard about Legos. Didn't Lemmings use Legos too? I think it was. See, that that's picking on memory that I don't have. <laughs> I'm, I'm not I, sure to be honest either. I, I know I know we talked, I mean not that it was not uh, like the last episode, but I know we talked about Legos being used in a different game, and I'm pretty sure that's the one, for whatever reason, it's sticking out of my head. The game was originally developed by a staff of roughly about 20 people. Kojima wanted a smaller team. He actually prefers smaller teams because he wants to know everyone on the team and really understand what they're working on. He also wanted to... He also wanted that personal touch because it allows him to understand if anyone is sick or unhappy and and resolve their problems. So initially, there was only a single programmer working on the game's code and a bunch of artists and developers. The team's the team didn't really expand to like a full size development team for this scope of game until late 1996. Oh wow! But they worked on Metal Gear. I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't really dramatic. They planned with Legos and everything. They took trips and visited experts to make sure the realism was there. And then they just put their nose to the grindstone and, and, and made a video game. Honestly. Yeah. It took them about three years, if I'm not mistaken, between, you know, start to finish all the, all the research and then actually programming and whatnot. Yep. That is, that is true. I think Tokyo of 96 or 97 would have been the first, like, first time we legitimately saw it little fun side note about the voice acting in the game mm, uh, the, best. i know it's great so except for david Hayter, who who's the voice of solid snake all of the voice cast was credited with pseudonyms because at the time david Hayter actually was his pseudonym was sean barker from his uh, the movie guyver and everybody else used the pseudonyms as well because they weren't sure if it was part of uh, the Screen Actors Guild. That is correct. <laughs> so the rules, the rules for video game performances around were unclear for within the SAG, so they all had to use um, they all had to use pseudonyms. So yeah, this game was one of the first games to actually have everything recorded audio wise um like from start to finish from what i remember i mean there may have been other games that had a little bit of talking in it but this one everything has talking so and I, I, that's probably part of why the sag thing came into play probably as an addendum to the video game thing it wasn't until they remade it uh the the twin snakes remake in 2004 that any of those actors got their actual name credited on the game. Okay. Good to know. Hey, Rob, speaking of getting credit for good things, you know, we really should take a moment and talk about Zencaster, huh? You know, you're right, Dave. 
it's one of those tools that's important for any creative endeavor. That's very true. You know, before we found Zencaster, we really struggled to just record. It, it seems like such a, a basic thing to record a podcast. And as much as it, as it is, it's hard bringing multiple people together, you know, to to record a podcast and then sync that audio up and then edit that audio and just do all the things that really takes to produce a podcast week in and week out. Yeah, it's really a lot of extra work to have to produce all of that. And I mean, hell, there's even been times in the past where we've had to re-record entire episodes. Yeah, it was miserable back then. But hey, it's not now. No, no, not at all. Not at all. We did a lot of research. And in that research, we found Zencaster. Zencaster is an all-in-one podcasting platform. It gives you the ability to record, to edit, to analyze, and to monetize your podcast all in one place. It offers studio-quality recording, audio up to 16-bit 48K web, and you can record videos up to 4K. And it does this in a way that's reliable and secure. And the thing of it is, is that Zencaster's post-production process really takes the head out, headache out of out of producing the podcast it automatically sets the right podcast loudness it'll set the levels it reduces the background noise it's got smart filters that lets you get rid of all those oohs ahs ums long pauses honestly it has saves me a lot of time on producing a high quality podcast and you know zencaster is a solid hosting platform for your podcast there are no caps on your uploads or downloads So you don't have to worry about being on a daily, weekly, or even monthly schedule. All you have to worry about is producing your high-quality content. And they have advanced analytics, so I get to see every detail about all you guys, listeners. I can see when you're listening to us. I can see how you're listening to us. I can see who carries on from week to week. Um... Uh, there's some weird stuff in there that we can learn, but I basically have all the data at my fingertips that I need to make the best decisions on how to manage our podcast. And if you're looking to monetize a podcast, Zencaster has a creator network that uses AI to match your show with the right brands that resonate with your audience. Yeah. You don't need 10 websites, six different programs and a notebook to produce your own podcast. Zencaster really makes it easy by by providing you all the tools that you need in one easy place. And today we have a special offer for you. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use code memory card lane and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. So if you've been thinking about doing your own podcast or you're a creator that's simply just looking to streamline your process or improve your process, take it to the next level. I can't stress more how easy Zencaster has made for us. And like Rob said, we have a coupon code. If you go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and you use the code, it's the name of our podcast, Memory Card Lane, you'll get 30% off the first, first month of any Zencaster plate plan. It's worth a try, guy. It's it's really changed the way that we do things. So check Zencaster out. Speaking of taking it to the next level, let's talk Metal Gear Solid. Metal Gear Solid, PlayStation game, 1998. It's... I, I mean, what what is it? You, you're Solid Snake? You're... It, it, 
infiltrating a nuclear weapons facility, right? Yes. Yep, you're given nothing. You have no weapons. It's on-site procurement. And you come in by sub. And basically, you have to stop who, at the time, you're not sure, but is your brother. Which, yeah. Spoiler alert! Sorry, early on. Woo! I know. Should have said something. <laughs> At the Wait, spoilers after six, five, what is this? Fifteen, twenty-five? Oh god! About oh, twenty-five god. years. Yeah. <laughs> now, if if you've actually watched the the little videos, like the um, shit, what are they called? Like the the documents of the game, like before you start playing the game, liquid and solid both have blonde hair. <laughs> so <clears throat> to differentiate them from each or yeah, to differentiate them from each other, Solid Snake cuts his hair and then dyes it brown, which is what you see throughout the rest of the games. But it was it was never really until I actually watched some of that that I knew that. Because they are, spoiler alert, twin brothers. So I just, I always thought that was fascinating. Like, you know, the little bit of details that Kojima gets into stuff like that is, is really nice. Okay. I got to ask this question. Did you say that I it's solid and liquid? liquid? Yeah. Yep. And there's one more who shall not be named yet. Nope. No, we're not going to do that. That's way down the okay. line. So yes. was there and- never anything in translation where someone thought that you could misinterpret solid snake and liquid snake as terms for dookie? I mean, come on, guys. Come on. I don't... I I never thought about that. Yeah, I never thought about it either. I I always thought of it as like a gaseous thing, you know? Like solid. I mean, there's gonna be some gas here. (laughs) Yes, but nope. Never, never. Never once thought that. (laughs) Well, hey, glad to bring that thought into your mind. Yes, now I won't forget it. So yes, so in the game, Solid Snake has to liberate hostages and stop the terrorists from launching a nuclear strike. That's 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 the not giveaway Solid Snake, uh, which we call it. Basically, you have to work your way through a nuclear weapons facility without being detected by enemies. Yep. You famously use a variety of ways to get through your environment. You crawl under objects. You use boxes as cover, which will forever be a cultural thing. Yep. Because he can hide in a box, and then when we're not looking, he can crawl in said box. He was meant to be in the box. He was meant to be in the box. (laughs) You can duck. You can hide around walls. You can make noise to distract enemies. You can knock on the walls. Yep. You can knock on the walls. You can find porn in a locker, if I remember correctly. Oh. No, I bet you would remember that. Not that first. one. Not, was second that the second one? one? Darn. Yep, second one. That's okay. Um, but they will. Uh, the guards, the AI, are, are actually pretty decent. You can they'll notice your footsteps in the snow they'll hear you walking on metal objects so you you really have to be aware of what you're doing and even though it's not like an fps shooter it's it's you know top down still you can still look forward and see the guards but now you have the uh the sonar 
radar or what shit, what's the name of the radar? Soliton radar. And it'll give you the cone of field of what people see and then a camera. You can see the cameras too. And I said it like that, Rob, because when he walks into the very first one he sees, he's like, a surveillance camera? Like, uh, why would a nuclear disposal facility have such a thing? You know, it's the yeah, weirdest ooh, thing. Who would have thunk that? Yeah. Yeah. Who Come on. Cameras <laughs> at a building like that. <laughs> Security? Nah. Let anyone out. Who needs to record? Right. It's not an island. Some secret agent guy this solid snake is and his liquid yes. brother. Well, it's all. It, like, like David said, he he's making a movie that you're playing. Yeah, that's what Kojima does. One hundred percent. That is. So this was one of the first games that rendered its cinematic cutscenes in the in-game engine, um, and one of the earliest games that is completely voice acted throughout the game. It was to teenage me, because it would have been teenage me at the time. It would have been what fourteen. Mind blowing. This is mm-hmm. one of those. This is one of those games that like took it to a different level, for sure. Because oh, yeah. because it was like watching a movie, and I had never ever ever seen a game like it. We had dabbled up until that point. Like Resident Evil gets you know some of it, you know, a couple of years earlier, right? Which starts to starts that, and um, what else did we have in there? that gave us the Final Fantasy 7 would have been a year earlier, which was even closer. Like, we got some of that with Final Fantasy 7 with the uh, fucking amazing 3D cutscenes. But they were CGI, like, in themselves, right? And what mm-hmm. Metal Gear Solid did is Metal Gear Solid did all the cutscenes and everything in the game engine, so it didn't just take you out of the video game experience. Like, you got to experience the story and the game in one unified experience. And it was, yeah, it was, oh, one it was those, phenomenal. It was one of those games that just like definitely sticks out. I don't like stealth. We talk about this on the podcast a lot. I can't stand stealth games. I don't have the patience for stealth games. Mm-hmm. This is one that I actually did play through. This is one that I played through more than once. Actually. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I when I first started gaming, I same thing. I was never big into stealth, and after playing this, it, the first couple times I played it, I I'll admit I didn't play it stealthily. I went through and just killed everybody I could. I didn't know you had to be stealthy. I knew you could, but I was like, well, shooting this guy seems easier, so let's just shoot him. And then as I got older and started playing the other games, I went back and I'm like, okay, let's try to, you know not kill everybody and let's just be as stealthy as possible. And the cutscenes it, it's funny because when you think about it, the cutscenes make the game feel a little bit longer in a way, but not really, because they are pretty fluid to the game. Yeah. But GameSpot actually criticized the game by saying it was too short. <laughs> and there weren't enough cutscenes, so I I guess you know Kojima must have seen that and just ramped it up every single time, except 
the Phantom Pain ones, but I don't. Anyway, we'll, we'll avoid that topic. Yeah. Sounds like they the, left the Phantom Pain with you there. Yes. Yes. Really? 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 You're just, you're just, you pulled up the Wikipedia entry and you're just looking at the other titles in the series, huh? No, he just said it. He literally just said it. You just, 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 just messing with you. You know, it's funny too, because like, I, and I, I don't know. I mean, we can dabble in the other games, but like chronologically, this is like smack dab in the middle of everything. Yeah. Yep, right in the middle. It, not really timeline-wise, but game-wise, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, timeline-wise, it's getting to be towards the end. Yes, it yeah. is towards the end, timeline-wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's only because Kojima wanted a birthday on his... Or a, a game on his birthday, so... <laughs> <laughs> but... It's funny, because they did Metal Gear Solid, and then they proceeded to just go back. <laughs> they, that's it. Yeah. Every, every, so many, all the mains are before this one, basically. No, Sons of Liberty's after. Yep, Sons of Liberty, and then MGS4, and then, nope, sorry, Sons of Liberty, then 3, then 4, which is technically the yeah, last, spoiler alert, the oh, last... Right, no yep. gear, but then yeah, Phantom Pain and a lot of them, Peace, like Walker, Peace Walker, yep, Snake and Eater. um, yeah, Snake Eater. They all take place between Before. the '60s and '80s. Yep, 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 yep. So they go all over the place. So yeah, oh yeah, that's why it's hard to talk about the lore of the game without mm-hmm. skipping back to you know one game or even going forward to another game because they'll retcon certain things. Yep. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay, so it's a great game. I don't know. I don't know what else to say about the game itself before I kind of move on a little bit. It's it's fantastic. It is commonly referred to as one of the greatest video games of all time. It, in my opinion, has earned its place. It's got like a ninety four aggregate rating on Metacritic, so people love it. Yeah, um, and like it's... I said, popularized the stealth genre for sure. And definitely the in-game engine cutscenes and the voice acting became a standard by which, I mean, let's be honest, every other game had to be held to at that point. So, Oh, yeah. Yep. Now, it, it did revolutionize the stealth gaming, but it did it in a way that it, it did it to us in America, but over in Japan, they were, you know, already playing the games. They were used to it, so True. it was cool to them. But to us, it was new. So I really, you know, when I realized that, I thought that was another cool thing that, like, they brought to us because, yeah, they just thought we just wanted to play shoot 'em up games, which a lot of people do. But the stealth action franchise, yeah, that that's something. That's something I'm glad Kojima did bring to the Americas. I completely agree. What do you feel about that, Rob? (laughs) It's a game series that exists and it's clearly popular. Thank you for your (laughs) stunning opinion. 
hey, man, this is the reason that I bring on the guys like you who understand <laughs> and know this topic well enough to go to bat with Dave, who does all of this research, because honestly, like I've seen the game. I have some friends that have played it and talked. The majority of my information about Snake is what occurs in Super Smash Melee. Like, oh, okay. That that's that's about it. I've seen the game. I've seen gameplay. I've obviously seen some of the cutscenes and things, but having never played the game, it's not something that I've committed much to memory because I don't have that firsthand understanding and playtime of what it actually is. But I do respect it as a game series because I understand that it was very imperative and what was done. And like, I know having played games like Splinter Cell, that wouldn't have happened without games like Metal Gear and Metal right. Gear Solid. Well, yep. and and he took Kojima took what he wanted to do, like make film like games, and like this is this is this is the one. Like he kind of dabbled with it, and then when he got here, the PlayStation could make three D games. Like this is this is. I, for me, this is the first one that's like legitimately a com- a contender for that concept in his library. So it, yeah. it had the cutscenes, cut it had a great story. The soundtrack is banging. It has cinematic music during the cutscenes, and the mm-hmm. music that's played in game is like hits the strings at all the right moments to give you that tense the the tense feeling. So, I mean, they did, I mean, they, they brought it all together. He brought it all together with Metal Gear Solid. Like, this is just a, this is a fantastic game for sure. Now, speaking of the music, I don't know, you may know this, David, uh, but I just recently found this out that the soundtrack to the original Solid Metal Gear Solid, and then uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty, while Sons of 2 is a little bit different, it's actually very similar to a Russian play that came out in the late 50s or early 60s, something like that. So to avoid either being sued or... I don't know, having to pay royalties, that that's they changed up the music for four, like 100%. Huh. So if you notice the difference from, you know, th- three, obviously, even Snake Eater, it, it's completely different for that reason. Because he, he, Kojima was on recording, he was listening to the music and he thought, man, somebody really did a good job recreating our soundtrack. And then his colleague looked at him and goes, no, this is from you know, the fifties. And he's like, Oh, interesting. That's, that's nope. Can't say I've ever tripped on that little bit of trivia. That's a fun one. So yeah, that's, that's a fun little fact. Like I said, and I just found that one out a couple days ago when I heard that, I was like, Oh, wow. I, okay. No wonder there's a big difference for sure. There were different releases of Metal Gear Solid, so I thought we would talk about those for a moment. Yeah. J- Japan got a version, what, six, seven, eight months later in June of 99 called Integral. Yep. It's basically, what are some of the changes? They added the English dub voices. Yep. So so people in Japan can play it with our 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 voiceovers they have alternate outfits for some of the characters there was Mm -hmm. a very very easy difficulty 
<laughs> where you can play with a submachine gun and infinite ammo, so you could play it as a shoot 'em up. Yep. There was a different codec frequency that had uh, commentary from the development team, which is really cool. So there was one. It was just on the tip of my tongue, and then the torture event and the VR disc. That's the, the other VR. Thing. Yep, I would say the VR. Yeah. Uh, the torture. What's different about that? I don't remember off the it top was, of my head. It was made easier in in the mode. Reduce the number of rounds to three per session instead of five, which was on the original. There was five in the torture event. So they, okay. they, they reduced it. So the VR disc is training. In the integral version, there are over 300 VR missions, which were basically all like sneaking, like little puzzles, like how to be stealthy type deal. So, yep. Yeah, they were, I never really played them, but they were, they were pretty interesting. But again, when, when I, you know, was playing it, I was young too. So all I wanted to do was shoot stuff and shoot the people, the genome soldiers. (laughs) Yeah. Now, which we, we didn't get into that yet. The, the genome soldiers and the injections and, no, no. That. And I don't know if you wanted to or not. I wasn't I wasn't prepared for someone who knows so much about this. I look, I'm gonna be honest with you. I played Metal Gear Solid and Metal Gear Solid 2. And then mm-hmm. about Metal Gear Solid 3, I kind of really fell off the franchise. And mm-hmm. I've never I played through three. I've never really picked up four or five. I okay. have tried to play four and and haven't, and I've never even made an attempt at Phantom Pain. I won't do Phantom Pain. I, I will not. I don't. I yeah. I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know why because I really enjoyed was the second one, Sons of Liberty, right? Sons of Liberty. Yep, that I, one. I really enjoyed, but the story is like way out there like i mean like the uh, he goes he goes i don't even know i don't even know how to describe yeah it. it's uh orwellian in a way in two but he also replicates one and another thing i i mentioned this to rob and i don't know if he mentioned it to you but Metal Gear Solid and Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty are both based off of Escape from New York and mm-hmm. Escape from L.A. from John Carpenter. Right. Which the character's name is uh, Iroquois Pliskin, and that's where he gets the name in uh, Sons of Liberty, Pliskin, because he, when he infiltrates the Big Shell, he runs into Raiden and he's like, who are you? You know, which he should have known, but he's like, oh, well, I can't tell you I'm Solid Snake, so I just made up something on the spot. But that's where he gets, you know, his name. And they actually wanted, was it, they wanted him to have an eye patch in the first, in Metal Gear Solid, but they thought it would, it wouldn't work. I, I, don't, I can't remember, but he... When I say he, Kojima liked a lot of action movies, so that's where he got the Mandana from, from like the Rambo series. He he got the physique of Jean Claude Van Damme, but then they gave him the face of uh, shit. Who is it? The guy, the weird guy from Joe Dirt. 
who's the gangster guy who goes into custody. What's his name? Oh, God. I had this somewhere in my notes, and I can't remember it for the life of me either. Christopher Walken. Yeah, Christopher Walken. Yeah, so they gave him a body of Jean-Claude Van Damme and then the face to Christopher Walken, which, I mean, with 800 uh, polygons, it's not really noticeable, but... Yeah, I mean, he gets tricked by somebody pretty much every game, and even though he has an IQ of 180 and is a genius, he has to be, like, you know, baby-fed everything. But it's it's more of a gameplay thing, not a canonical thing because again somebody with an IQ of 180 and knows every military weapon you know to date isn't going to need to be told how to do the mission because if that was the case they wouldn't have picked him to do it so well so you brought up the concept of uh, action and I think that's a, a good segue because I want to take a moment and talk mm-hmm. about the, twi- the twin snakes yeah so the Twin Snakes, Metal Gear Solid, the Twin Snakes, uh, 2004 uh, GameCube game. It is a remake of Metal Gear Solid. This time, this time it was developed. So when it was this is this is what I remember. So when it was first announced, it was said to be developed under uh, the guidance of both Hideo Kojima, and since it was a GameCube title, it was also going to be developed under the guidance of Shigeru Miyamoto. And that was like, I mean, come on, those are two, the, the heavyweights of the video game industry. You know what I mean? Like, right. I mean, yep. the, the hype was real. The, the hype was real. Kojima was busy working on Metal Gear Solid 3 at the time. So he, in the end, wasn't really able to commit to the project full time. So mm-hmm. he wanted Miyamoto and Iwata of Nintendo to let uh, Silicon Knights take the help because yep. he was a fan of Silicon Knights' work. Silicon Knights had just gotten done doing Eternal Darkness Sandy's Requiem, which was fantastic. And and Kojima was a fan. So basically, Miyamoto and Awada uh, approached him in the Nintendo cafeteria. Uh, he was there because he had just finished Eternal Darkness, which was a GameCube game. And he asked them, he asked Silicon Knights to work on Twin Snakes, so they agreed. Now what can we say about the Twin Snakes? It has graphical improvements. It has new cutscenes that were written and directed by Kitamura, which is a film director. Do we know anything of Kitamura? Anyone? I, I, I've heard the name. I don't know what movies he's done. So recently, have you ever seen Midnight Meat Train? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Dave, I don't want to know what you're looking up at night. <laughs> How about Sky High? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I've seen that one. No, Sounds I don't familiar. I don't think you have. That's okay. All right, you've oh, never it's not seen that Mid- Sky High. Mid- <laughs> no, 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 no. The one with the the superhero kids. No, it's not that Sky High. Oh, it's not that okay. Sky High. Midnight Meat Train has like. <laughs> It's got Bradley Cooper, Leslie Bibb. It's got like a whole bunch of freaking. It's fantastic. You should watch it. Anyway, I'll have to uh, check it out. So basically, it has new cutscenes directed by an actual filmmaker. It's got graphical improvements, and they kind of brought the gameplay of Metal Gear Solid Two over to Metal Gear Solid. Is yep. the, is 
is the best way to do it. It it has a lot of bullet time effect because the Matrix was super popular at the time. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the cut scenes, that's actually one of the criticisms of the game typically too, is it has a lot of bullet time effects in it. Yeah, they're overly dramatic on the cutscenes. Like they, they took yeah. good cutscenes and made some of them a little ridiculous. But like we said, all the English actors got credit finally. They actually came and they re-recorded uh, yep. the Twin Snakes, and that's when they got credit for their credit for credit for their work as the Metal Now, Gear do you know why they had to redo the? I don't the the voiceover. No, I don't. well when they did. Uh, one or Metal Gear Solid, they rented a beach house in California and all the voice actors came in and they did their thing and they were there a couple of weeks and when they ported it over or upgraded all the audio, you could hear cars in the background and, you know, the garbage trucks picking up garbage and people honking the horn and because the technology just advanced from, you know, 97, 98 to 2004 they couldn't use it so that's why some of the audio actually is different it's not the same audio it's very similar but if you listen to it you know side by side you know like vulcan raven may say something and then in one and then it's completely different in the twin snakes yeah yes so as it goes the original wasn't recorded in a soundproof studio so they they couldn't use it so that's simple Yep, that's um, simple. That's simple. I like just I like the story about the beach house though. That that it's fascinating. I I'd know. love to be at a beach house. That'd be cool. <laughs> I yeah, know I it think was, it would. I didn't know that, but um, but yeah. So we got Metal Gear Solid. Uh, also took away the Psycho Mantis deal, which was sad. Yeah. Now the one there is actually another way other than plugging it into the controller port too. If you shoot wait, wait, the head, before, uh, before, you have to go back for a second. Cause that was one of my favorite <laughs> things, favorite moment from so the series. Cool. Tell Rob, Rob, no, do you know? I know that one. Yes. All right. So tell sure. the listeners, tell the listeners the, the, about that fight and the catch to it. For those of you who don't know, and I've never actually done it, uh, but you shoot the heads of all the figurines that are there and that'll take down his psychic barrier, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And then you're able to actually shoot him yes. to take him down. So what what was the deal with the second controller? The second controller was, in Kojima's words, like a big brother, little brother thing. And I, I don't get the understanding behind it, but I guess, you know, I, I guess Psycho Manus was the big brother. And he couldn't use or he only used controller one. So you being the little brother had to use controller two. So that's why they switched over. He couldn't quote unquote, read your mind. Now, one thing about that fight at the time that took me as a young child by surprise. And I loved it was when he started sending, uh, the energy pulses at you and he's like put the remote on the floor and then it started vibrating and freaking out i was like holy shit it's how does he do that you know it, it was like so magical at the time if you did it now it'd be like eh, okay cool it's vibrating but that that was a thing back then you know it it was new yeah okay so the way it goes is you have a battle with this character named psychomantis to kind of elaborate and he can read your mind 
And the way to beat him was you had to use a controller plugged into the second controller port because when you did so, he wasn't able to read your mind. And that yep. is legitimately how you would beat that boss, which is like, holy shit. I mean, like, for real. Like, how yep. cr- how creative, how how creative is that? Like, it was the coolest thing ever. Yeah, so. it, it was pretty cool because I never would have known that. And then I, I want to say I, I either talked to somebody at school and they were like, oh, just change it to, you know, change it to controller port number two. And then I did. It. I'm like, wow, OK, nice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a really nice touch and it, it was it was fantastic. So side note before going on, since we're on the topic of remakes, we've got a master collection coming soon. Mm hmm. There another master collection, another master collection. But this one is going to be like Switch and PS5 and Xbox Series. It'll be yep. the first time that the original version of the game, the non Twin Snakes game, has ever appeared on a Nintendo platform. So, and the first release of any version of the game on an Xbox platform. Yeah. Oh shit. So we're getting it. It's going to be based on the integral re-release. So we'll get that one. And a whole bunch of other fun stuff is going to be included with it, like concept art and, and development anecdotes and all sorts of fun stuff that, that comes in October, I think. I think I October. think so, yeah. Real quick, because uh, we're bumping up against the time clock. Let's talk about some yep. of the other fun stuff. Other fun stuff, like the fact that there was a radio drama that was produced of this game in Japan. It basically had, what, 12 episodes uh, released on it. It's on a two-volume series, and basically it's set after the events of the game, and it's like some of the characters that are pursuing missions in hostile third-world nations, basically. So Okay. You well, have a, I did not know that. Yeah, so it's a two-volume series called Drama CD Metal Gear Solid, and it is, like I said, it's a series. It's uh, Snake, Marilyn Campbell, and Mei Ling, Foxhound in Third World Nations, so along with some new okay. characters. There are comic books released in 2004. There's a series of comic books. The comic was adapted into a PSP game called Metal Gear Solid Digital Graphic Novel which has some uh, the story and some additions to it. There are novels. Um, there's two novelizations, actually. You've got the first one from 2008, and then Metal Gear Solid Substance 1 uh, flies through this story, too, basically. And now there's five, as we were talking about, there's five games in the series, right? Five games and a whole lot of spinoffs, kind of, sort of. Oh, yeah, them. yep. Uh, the Metal Gear Solid series is a powerhouse. It's a powerhouse. Now it's still going. It's still so going. That should say something. Which we're getting Metal Gear Solid Delta Snake Eater. Konami's working on a remake of Metal Gear Solid Three. But I'm going to go back to the sentiment. So you said mm-hmm. that you're never going to do Phantom Pain. Yes. Why? Well, it's very short. The, the two series, the Phantom Pain and then um, the one that comes after, whatever it is, or whatever order, they're both very short, and then you just replay a lot of the missions. Secondly, 
Kiefer Sutherland is not David Hayter. <laughs> no. And he has like 30 lines throughout the whole game. I mean, to me, Big Boss and Solid Snake is David Hayter. And he admits that. And he's played every one of the games except those two. And I don't blame him. And he he had to interview for every or audition for every single game after one because Kojima wanted to get rid of them to quote unquote get somebody more famous. But they couldn't. They people kept wanting David Hayter. So I guess he made an executive decision on Phantom Pain and the other one and yeah. David Hayter was gone. I'm not going to lie, that was not the answer I was expecting from you. What was the answer you were expecting? Well, the Phantom Pain was smack dab in the middle of the Konami-Kojima dispute. Mm-hmm. I, was, I, I thought that maybe you were going to take the moral high ground because because Kojima's not with Konami anymore. Oh, no. No. <laughs> nope. I, I side with David Hayter. Like, he, he's even made comments in the past that Kojima would, like, he'd say, hey, how, you know, how's it going? And Kojima would just ignore him. He'd just be like, hey, and then walk away. It's like, wow, you shouldn't really do that to, like, the dude who made, you know, who helped make you famous. But, I mean, and same thing with 4, which I know we're getting a little off track, but the only reason the the Beauty and the Beast Corps was supermodels was because he wanted to hang out with supermodels and see supermodels naked. And he wanted them naked the whole time when you fight them, which, I mean, eh, I, I could see that. I wouldn't mind yeah. that, but yeah. 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 So when the Phantom Pain came out, Kojima and Konami weren't on good terms. In fact, uh, I think this is the one where it was nominated for a game developer of the year award. Like Kojima productions was nominated and yep. Kojima wasn't allowed to go because Konami lawyers blocked him. Mm-hmm. And so that's when Kiefer Sutherland had to uh, uh, accept the award on his behalf. So Konami closed down Konimich Productions as an internal Konami studio. Uh, was it later that year? I, later that same year is when uh, Kojima announced that he was going to reform Konima Productions as an independent studio with Sony. And now we have the Kojima Productions we have today that has been making the Death Stranding series. They are currently working on Death Stranding 2. Is there any uh, P fetishes in that game? Like <laughs> Like in a Metal Gear? Not that I remember. No, okay. No, 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 no. Well, I mean, he, and he's a weird. He's a weird dude. I'm not going to even pretend that he's not a weird. It dude. It might be a Japanese thing. It might be a cultural thing. But I mean, you you get. Let's see. You get peed on by the dogs if if you do it right when you're following Meryl through the caverns with the wolves. Oh, Meryl. Let's see. What's the other one? A guard. Does a guard pee? Yeah. I, yeah, I know. Yeah, I was going to say, but a guard doesn't pee on you. That's two. Yeah. But there's something else. But yeah, no, he's got some weird fetishes. Yeah, well, I mean, all the good ones have it. You know, uh, Tarantino yeah. has his foot fetish and Kojima has his pee fetish. So, yeah, we're OK. They're allowed. That's to, true. The, the, all the creative minds have to have an outlet, I, I guess. So. Yeah. You have to have an outlet, I guess. And uh that, yeah, that's Metal Gear Solid. I 
great game. The boss, I was going to say, the boss fights were really amazing to me. Good lord. I was going to say, they were all different, and they were all special in their own way. And if you think about it, a lot of them you, you had to do twice. Like, you fought Vulcan Raven twice. You fought yep. him in the tank, which even he says, that's not a true battle. Right. And then you, you got to fight him, not hand-to-hand, but when, when you fight Cyborg Ninja, if you try to fight him with, with weapons, it, it, he just mocks you the whole time. And then once you put him away, he says, yeah, you know, hand-to-hand combat, the the purest form of combat, or, or whatever he says, and, and, you know, it's where combat started, was people punching and kicking each other. So... I think you only fight him once, but then Sniper Wolf, you fight her twice. Uh, the first time was when you had to get the PSG-1 after she shoots Meryl. Then you fight her before you enter the hangar out in the field. And then Liquid, you fight Liquid twice. Once on top of Metal Gear Rex. And then the second time leaving the tunnel. Uh, let's see. Um, you don't actually get to fight, spoiler alert, Decoy Octopus, because he is actually hiding or decoying himself as the DARPA chief, Donald Anderson. And it took me for the longest time, like a, a couple of playthroughs. I'm like, wait a second. I, I never fought Decoy Octopus. And then it finally clicked because I wasn't watching the cutscenes. Like, hey, okay. Decoy Octopus is Donald Anderson. That makes a lot of sense. He's the DARPA chief. Oh, and then uh, Ocelot, Revolver Ocelot. Revolver Ocelot. He's the only character who's in every single Metal Gear. Um, you know, because obviously in Snake Eater, you're playing as Big Boss, so that's not Solid Snake. But you still have Revolver Ocelot, at which at that point in time he was just Ocelot because he didn't pick up the revolver yet until Big Boss made fun of him for his piss poor shooting techniques. But I digress. Yeah, all the boss fights were phenomenal. They were all different. The uh, having to use you know diazepam for the sniper fights to steady yourself that that was great. I mean, you you could try to wing it and and sometimes do okay, but if you didn't have those, you were pretty much screwed. You'd end up dead. Absolutely. This is an easy recommendation, especially since you're about to get a like modern release of it in mm-hmm. one month, roughly, a little yep. over a month um, at the time of the publication of this. So uh, honestly, if you've never had a chance to go back and play this, this is this is something I would highly recommend. It is it, it is such an important game that came at such an important like point in video game history for the progression of cinematic storytelling in video games. It's hard not to recommend this if you've never had an opportunity to play it. So it's like the apocalypse now of <laughs> video games or, or really should I say full metal jacket because at the true nature of the game it is an anti-war game even though you're at war throughout the whole time it's anti-war and that's the message it's trying to send is we're trying to end war and a, a lot of people don't grasp that they've they've never really put those two together and kojima came out and said it in an interview yeah this is an anti-war game and 
once you actually pay attention to the lore of the game, yeah, it makes sense. And I will say, I have the collector's edition, I think it is, for the PS3. And on every game that I can play, you know, one, two, three, and then obviously four, I can't save one because there's no memory card. And all the other ones will let me save it. But when I go to save on that one, it says no memory card. So either I'm an idiot and haven't figured out how to do that yet, how to save it without the memory card, or they forgot to change that setting. And I, I, I just haven't looked into it. Don't really. know it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have to find that out because I'm not going to play the game straight through. I do want to replay it. It's truly one of the best video games. I I actually like two more, but that, I mean, one still has a very special place in my heart. If two didn't come out, one would definitely be the number one video game for me. I actually agree. I like two more as well. I I'm not going to discourage that at all. It took everything that the first one did and just took it to the next level. So, yep. Mm -hmm. uh, Second one is a fantastic entry. All right. Well, that'll do it. I think for Metal Gear Solid, you know, we're kind of, you know, that's, that's it. Yeah. Rob, we had a whole story. We told about the beginning of the Metal Gear series, didn't we? Uh, Indeed we did, Dave. And if you're interested in learning about that story and Kojima's early history, uh, I know I gave a little primer on it, but we go into everything in much more detail. That is episode 98. And you can find old episodes of our podcast on our website, which is www.memorycardlane.com. Rob, what else can people do at www.memorycardlane.com? Well, Dave, People can find a calendar of our upcoming episodes where they can put little tidbits of information they might know about the game or, you know, hey, maybe you want to come talk about it or you just just want to say hello. You can do all of that there. You can find links to things such as our Patreon. Uh, You may also find links to things such as our Discord where you can hang out with Dave. I give your opinion on things and maybe play some games with us. Also links to our social media. I can be found on multiple platforms as Rob underscore O underscore Raptor and Dave. I can be found on various social media platforms as David is wrong. So, yes, each week we tell you a story relevant to the current week in gaming history. While doing so, we would like to teach you something new about that topic. Uh, What it took from the world as its inspiration or what it gave back to the world in its legacy. The best part about telling these stories week in, week out, uh, a lot of it's nostalgia, love my nostalgia, but also as I do research for the episodes, I always learn new things and I get to take those new things and those old things and I get to teach you and hope in the hopes that you learn new things. It's a fantastic cycle. When we teach, we learn, when we learn, we teach. And in recognition of said cycle, every week we like to go around table and talk about what we've taken away from each episode. So... Rob, I'll start with you out of just I'm a creature of habit. What did you learn today? Well, I think I obviously learned a whole hell of a lot, but I think that my favorite takeaway, uh, it's just it has to be that Kojima used the Legos for the modeling for the the camera views. I think it's it's a really cool thought. And like as someone who has to see things visually, it's like, hey, this is something like. It's just really cool thought use Legos and make something that you can use in creating video games. Very, very yeah. true. 
Good Pliskin. one. Pliskin. What you got? I will say the beginnings of Kojima and how he got started. I knew a little bit about it, but the the research that you did was actually pretty eye-opening. A lot of that that I didn't know. We didn't even I, get to I, touch on it very much, man. <laughs> and that's the thing is an hour is not nearly enough time no. to talk about any of the Metal Gear games. <laughs> maybe, I mean, maybe the um, MSX and MX2s, but uh, I mean, not pretty not, much 98 and, you know, to current, yeah. no. No, not if you want to have a detailed plot discussion, but we, we don't we do not do that as much, so. Okay. We don't do that as but, much. Yeah. That would be that would be the thing because I I focus on you know solid and and to current. That is clearly obvious. <laughs> you would <laughs> you would school me on the lore for sure. So well, thank you. It's always fun having people that are passionate about these video games join us. So I just want to say thank you for joining us. I appreciated <laughs> I appreciate the enthusiasm for sure. Oh, no problem. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I was glad to be here. Uh, Dave, what's your big takeaway from today's episode? What is my big takeaway from today's episode? I, I don't know what I learned today off the top of my head. Oh. I, I didn't know that they designed the game with Legos. That was fun. I know that you what? used that. But Original. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know, man. I I mean that the most of most of this one I did actually know. I I was I look when this came out, it was it was mind blowing, and and up until for longest time that never changed for me. I may have drifted away from the series, but like when the Twin Snakes was released, I was stoked. I was super excited, and every time we got a new release of it, we learned a little bit more, you know. And the internet became more of a thing, so we learned more. Yep. So a lot of the story wasn't as new for me, but it's always fun to review it. And I don't think I remembered that aspect of it or the fact that there was only a single programmer working on the game's code for like the first year and a half of development. So, but this one's a lot of fun. I, I, really, I really like Metal Gear Solid. I, I think people should should play it. Absolutely agree. I also did not know there was a Japanese radio drama until I did the research. I'll give you that one. There we go. All right, Rob. Now, before I take it out of here, what would you like to add to today's episode? Well, Dave, first off, I do want to say a special thanks, Pliskin, for joining us. It's been fantastic. I hope that you had a great time. And Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. And also, as always, I do have to say thank you to all of those who are listening. We hope that we bring a little bit of joy, knowledge, and enthusiasm into your life like we do for all of us. And if not, well, then that sucks. So there you go. That sucks. <laughs> and frankly, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I mean, give us our feet. Give us feedback so we can be better. Boo hoo. <laughs> I love I I don't know. I don't think we do a bad job anymore. I think in the beginning it was definitely questionable, but nowadays we kind of have this down like riding a bike. So yeah. And, and at this point, my stance on it is you either like our presentation, like, or you don't, it's that simple. So yeah, uh, I liked it. Good. I appreciate that. I, 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 I could tell you did a lot of research. I like, I like my stories. Show. I like my stories. All right. Well, on that note, I'm going to take it into next week. We're not going to be straying from the best video games of all time. Next week, we're going to be right there again, looking at yet another one. 
We're going to be looking at one of the best-selling games of all time. It has sold more than 58 million copies worldwide. Uh, it's not WoW, just to be clear, because WoW is definitely at the top of that list. It's no, actually, Minecraft's at the top of that list. I don't need anyone. Yep. I don't need anyone to email me or correct me or anything like that. I know, I know, it's Minecraft. The best-selling game with over 200 million copies sold is Minecraft. Okay, I've just never played it. This game is at the intersection of many important things. It may have saved the video game industry. It has one of the best and most recognizable video game soundtracks of all time. And it certainly features a character that is pretty much the most recognized video game character, probably brand mascot character of all time. Released in September of 1985, Super Mario Brothers is one of the most important video games in history, and we're finally getting around to telling you its story. Ooh, wow. <laughs> three, three years into the podcast, we still haven't told you about Super Mario Brothers. I couldn't throw all the stops on at first. I had to I had to save some stuff right down the line, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So stick around and join us next week as we traverse the Mushroom Kingdom on yet another trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Dibby dim dum 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 doo doo.